This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two pretty alright guys, Brian Murray. Hello. And Nick White. Hey. Thank you both for joining me this week. I mean, I said that you're alright. You guys are actually pretty fantastic human beings. Um, you know, it's been a crazy week for me. I just want to say I just got back from FlameCon yesterday. I saw some incredible people. I was a little like mentally overwhelmed with how much cool shit there was and just how many people there were um, for a what I consider a pretty small convention this place was packed um, I went to Mocha Fest like a year or two ago which is like this very small like super indie comics from my understanding like New York focused kind of thing or East Coast kind of thing and uh, that place was packed to the brim like to the point where I could only spend like an hour there because there were so many people this was almost how packed FlameCon was uh, which isn't to say that's a bad thing but like to see the honestly the largest lgbt focused comic book convention in the united states super packed with people from all walks of life was the coolest thing in the world and there were so many amazing people there i had to resist buying a bunch of stuff but i did get a bunch of enamel pins i know this is what i should be saying in my how i've been how i've been reading comics whatever but like man i just gotta say if you get a chance to come to new york city for FlameCon next year in 2020 you honestly should take up that offer because holy shit, it's such a cool convention. Every single person there is so nice. There's none of the weird, awkward stuff that I think you get at a lot of bigger conventions. Instead, it's just a lot of really wholesome folks that it's very sexy stuff, but like it's a lot of people that are very wholesome in general, like very nice, really easy to talk to. So I, I just had to put that out there. But let me ask the question I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Nick. Um, things have been fine. I think this is my first show back since our break, so it's, uh, it's interesting to not actually be talking about Ice Cream Man. I, I feel like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like that it's sort of a real pivot for me to not actually be discussing, you know, the machinations of, uh, of the Ice Cream Man slash werewolf being slash weird spider thing on the back of an asteroid slash everything else that he's been um so this is this is a real change for me yeah in terms of what i've read uh i finally got around to reading uh live wire number five i know some of you are probably saying hey nick uh isn't that book on <laughs> number nine uh and it is and you uh would be correct i i've i've been putting this book off i think partially because i was really Nervous to see, and again, this is um written by Vita Ayala, um, art by Kano. I think he handles colors and and everything, and I think I was really nervous to see Kano fill the shoes of Raúl Allen and Patricia Martin, uh, which was foolish of me because I've seen Kano's work before. He did a great job with the Delinquents. Um, he recently did a fantastic job with the Quantum and Woody reboot written by Daniel Kibblesmith. Um, so I don't know why I was nervous. I think part of it was just that I have Raul Allen and Patricia Martin on just such a high pedestal that even like really, really trusted, competent other pencilers, I'm kind of like, uh, we'll see. But um, yeah, I mean, understandably so. I mean, Raul Allen and Patricia Martin are stupendous. Like, please give me a thousand books with them on it because they're fantastic. Yeah, and 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 I forgot that Kano's style in some ways is actually not that far off from theirs. Um he has right. a real penchant and ability for crazy unconventional panel work. Um he's used to using a very bright and wide and uh large color palette. 
So I really liked that it felt like this arc didn't feel like a real jarring um, one, aesthetically speaking. Uh, the writing was solid as always, but I was worried, of course, about the art. But they they sort of let Kano follow the same color palette um, without worrying as much about like shoehorning his aesthetic into being something it's not. So I was really happy with that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this all happened because uh, I went into my shop a few weeks ago. It had been a couple weeks. And when I got there, I found Livewire 6 and Livewire 8. And when I got home, I found Livewire 7 from the last time I had been to the shop. So if any of our listeners want to explain what they think happened, um, please do. <laughs> I've been losing sleep over this one. It's please so send weird. all conspiracy theories to ircb at gmail.com please do it's so yeah, yeah, weird yeah. it's so weird um what else um i read Lords number two uh again this is fred van lenti's valiant book uh written by fred van lenti art by renato guedes lettering by dave sharp and again we're following these four characters tank beacon hazard and artisan for those who don't really remember me discussing this book before, like the two-sentence pitch would be four humans find themselves in a space jail, period. They also have powers, question mark? Uh, I guess that would probably be it. Um, one of them seems to basically be a Green Lantern, another one's the Hulk. This other one is just mad as hell, and then the other one has some weird light powers. Anyway... It's very weird. I, I appreciate that. Uh, it's kind of hard to see where this book is going. It still has Fred Van Lenti's signature sense of humor, but it's also sort of a dramatic mystery, and I appreciate it when uh, a writer that's largely known for comedy understands that like sometimes it's not the place to just go joke-heavy and sort of pull it back, and and Fred Van Lenti's definitely done this with his work. Um we see in this issue, we saw them break out of this space prison only to end up in what I can sort of best describe as like a, an outer ring of the space prison where they discover that there are basically are other gangs of individuals that also were given powers. And it's now more or less a turf war against these other gangs of people who have also been brought here and um when they try to go get their ship to leave they find out their ship's energy is being siphoned off to power a nearby star as we all we've all we've all watched dude where's my car it's basically that um and uh yeah so now it's basically a gang prison turf warfare sort of story um between our four humans and then another gang which is basically it looks like a gang of hairless cats that are wearing robes like monks and another one that are floating bipedal uh, humanoid-ish people if they had the faiths of Cthulhu and they're called the widowers this book is crazy did I mention that um it sounds sounds a little berserk uh <laughs> insane I, I I'm enjoying it but uh I don't know where it's going and I think as I've gotten, as I've matured as a comic book reader, um, I don't believe that I've for come a to appreciate that more than be frustrated by it. <laughs> gotcha. Wowzer. 
Um, so everyone should check out Psylords. That's what it sounds like to me. I mean, yeah. how much of the Valiant universe do you really need to know to jump into Psylords? Great question. I'm glad you asked that, Michael. Um, <laughs> I would say none. At this point, none. Okay. The old Psylords was kind of built on the back of the hardcore it was sort of like taking the hardcore from the modern Valiant universe and shifting it into the 4000 AD universe. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of interviews, Fred Van Lente was like, look, I am not like I am not beholden to what has come before me. And uh, we know that I think this book is modern day. It's not a forward shifting book into the future verse. Um, okay. And yeah. As far as I've seen so far, there are no connections to the broader Valiant universe, so that cool. works for readers. I mean, this this sounds like a like a Valiant equivalent of like the Marvel Cosmos or Cosmic Universe that like you know where you've got like big stories happening in the current day situation, but just way out in space. That's completely unrelated, and maybe one day it'll come back and get related. But <laughs> that's for exactly now, it's like what I was in, gonna say. It'll, it's, it's completely unrelated until the the day that they decide to smash the cosmic universe with the the main one. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, well, cool. I mean, that sounds. I I think I'm gonna grab this in trade because I do like Fred Van Lente's writing, and this book just sounds very cool. Um, Brian, what about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? I've been good. I've been playing a lot of tabletop RPGs lately. Like I've currently got a Starfinder game that I'm playing in, a Starfinder game that I'm running, and a fifth ed D and D game that I'm playing in. So nice. My cup kind of runneth over there. Um, <laughs> I get that. I, I have not been a very good comics boy of late. I have a stack of comics in my like to read comics on my coffee table that is mm-hmm. approaching structural integrity issues like it's it's going to collapse or just crash through my glass top coffee table um unless i just fucking read my comic books (laughs) i did those of you who are tracking brian's timeline of reading comics there was a point at which he had read all of his backlog yeah something happened and now we're here (laughs) and the thing that happened is that uh i play video games yeah yeah. play a lot of video games oh i got uh the new god of, well new to me god of war yesterday oh nice and uh yeah i'm trying to figure out which button makes you a good dad and so far <laughs> it's none of them i tore a zombie <laughs> oh, in half great. though that was cool very cool very cool uh i did find time to read life is strange number seven because that's kind of that intersection of comic books and video games where i live um mm-hmm. There's a character who's been introduced in the second arc of this comic who has a power similar to but different from Max's where he can't affect time, but he can essentially make himself go unnoticed. And Oh, okay. I have that His... ability. Brian, I picked that up in middle school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, trust me, Nick. Nobody ever fails to notice you. <laughs> <laughs> His his power manifested when he and his best friend were in a dangerous situation, which is exactly how Max got her powers when her right. friend Chloe was being shot in the bathroom. Um, so I think right. that that's really fascinating. It's a parallel between their two stories that otherwise have almost nothing in common. So I think that this book is starting to examine those powers a little bit more closely they're starting to look into 
you know, how do our powers work? What gave them to us? Where they come from? Uh, which is super fascinating to me. So I'm excited to see mm-hmm. where that goes. Um, unfortunately, they're also introducing some drama between Max and Chloe, which makes my heart hurt. Of course. It wouldn't be Life is Strange without drama, right? Uh, yeah, that's probably why I love it so much, because I'm, you know, <laughs> no. a messy bitch. <laughs> B- Brian, there's three <laughs> games at this point. Do I have that right? Yes, there is the original Life is Strange. There is Life is Strange Before the Storm, which is a Following prequel. the same protagonists, right? Uh, one of the same protagonists, yeah. Right. It's all about Chloe while Max was living in Seattle. And then Life is Strange 2 is a complete divergence. Um, and where does this totally, fall into all of that? The comics are pretty much unrelated. Um, oh. Uh, Life is Strange Dust, the first arc picks up a year after the end of the first game Uh, but at the end of that arc Max essentially realizes that like she wasn't so much drifting through time as she was jumping between realities and so at the end of Dust she's essentially trying to get back to her like she's trying to find the reality that fits as I think how they explain it, or the one that feels like home. Aren't we all? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. If if you're a fan of the video games, you'll definitely like the books. Cool. Well, I already kind of gave my background as to what I've been doing. Um, I am doing more wedding planning stuff. That's always part of my day-to-day life until it actually happens. But... Um, I did actually get a chance to read some comics. I like sat down. I was like, I'm going to dig through some backlog. Um, of course, the books I'm going to talk about are not from my backlog. Instead, I'm going to talk about some new books. I uh, I read Berserker Unbound, number one. This is from Jeff Lemire, Mike Diodato Jr. on art with colors by Frank Martin and letters by Steve Wands. Basically, this is like Jeff Lemire's alternative take on Conan, which I think is like almost a weird dig at Marvel uh, because they now have the Conan rights. So, like dark horse is like could you write a conan book but uh the first issue there's not really much to say here as far as like major story we basically get to meet this character the berserker and he is just a killing machine that is his whole thing he just kills people and mike diodato jr's art basically was made to show brutal fight scenes not death scenes not like crossed where it's bloody and gory and makes you sick Mike Diodato Jr. has this incredible ability to make every single, like, pixel, I guess I read it digitally, pixel of the page look like it's full of action. And it's so kinetic and there's so much movement. I just want it, like, there's one page in particular that I just want to print out on, like, a huge wall mural. Um, It is so beautiful of just this character just mowing through a hundred different enemies at once and there's no way he could be in all those places at once and yet that's how it looks there's just so much action and god damn this book is beautiful um the story essentially ends with our main character kind of showing up in i realize i didn't write down his name and now i don't remember what it is but he shows up in modern day new york in central park but this book is beautiful and i'm just going to keep reading it because it's jeff lemire dude kills it mike diodato jr is probably one of the most talented artists like out there right now this book is 
perfect. I mean, Frank Martin does some stupendous work on colors. Um, that alone is worth mentioning because, like I said, this massive fight scene would probably be nothing without Frank Martin's art or colors. Um, holy crap, what a book. It's so action-packed. It's exactly what I think I needed. I think this is like how Xander has pitched Conan, the Marvel like run that Jason Aaron is doing to me. He feels like it's just this very action-packed, kinetic book. Um, this is exactly what Berserker Unbound feels like. If you like Conan, if you like, um, you know, Brian Wood's like uh, black ha- black axe that he did. Black. Ha- what was the book that he did? Is it Black Axe, Nick? No. Um, geez. I, was gonna, I the, thought you were going to say like, Brian Woods Conan. Um, oh, Brian Woods Conan. I mean, no, you're I talking about that, the one either, with Gary Brown way. for Image. Oh, shit. Yeah. If you like these like old style like barbarians trying to survive kind of books, I think this will probably be up your alley. But I have no idea what it looks like when this Conan-esque character shows up in modern-day New York. So we're going to find out in issue two, but man, oh man, this book is beautiful. I just had to bring that up because, holy cow, I wrote goddamn with a million A's in the middle of my notes because it, the book deserves it. Just go check out the preview pages and tell me I'm wrong. You've seen uh, you've seen George of the Jungle, right, Mike? Yes. Yeah, it's going to be like that. It's just going to be him trying no, to, it's... like... <laughs> what did he say it's going to be gonna like? a little bit more dramatic. <clears throat> uh, George of the Jungle. George of the Jungle. Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, Hercules in New York or whatever that Schwarzenegger movie is. Uh, Black Road. That's the name of the book. Yeah. That's the name of the book. I will say... Sorry, go ahead, Mike. We are recording right now, and we are on Discord, and we've got people chatting to us, so I want to say thank you to Danny for that. I just couldn't figure out what the name of that book was. I'm just really interested to actually see... I mean, okay, I love Jeff Lemire. I love a lot of the people he collaborates with. Okay, let me say that up front. Okay. But that being said, um I'm always interested to see him working with new people because I feel in some mm-hmm. ways that Lemire has like eight people and I love all of those people, but I feel like he has eight people on speed dial for most of his projects right now. Oh yeah. You know, and that's oh, fine. Sure. Like Andrea but Sorrentino I mean- is 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 fantastic. Matt Kinn is amazing. Um you know, but it's always nice to see someone new. For sure. And I think like if you like the work that he's done with Andrea Sorrentino, you're going to like the work that he's doing with the Berserker Unbound. Because while I think Sorrentino and Diodato Jr., they have very different styles, um, the feeling that they emit in their books feels very similar. Like I think the panel work is really interesting in Berserker Unbound. Like I, I can't sell this book enough. It's very, very good. It was a killer number one. Um, and I mean that pun intended. Uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> So, the other book I want to talk about real quick is Outer Darkness number nine. This is John Lehman, Afu Chan, uh, Pat Brosno on Letters. I don't care who you are. This is the most beautiful goddamn book on the stands. Hands down, like, if you look at the cover of Outer Darkness number nine, that's also, like, a panel in the middle of the book. And I don't know what it is, but I cannot stop looking at this art. Like, I get distracted looking at some of the full or half-page spreads that they do. Um, Afu Chan's art is stupendous. I think John Lehman is doing a wonderful job telling a Star Trek-like story about a bunch of shitheads with weird quantum physics, math, and 
arcane energies that people have to get exercised because space ghosts possess them and evil gods live in the basement of this ship and it powers it. Like, there's so much ridiculous stuff going on in this book. I just love it to death. But it doesn't feel like Chew, where it's all wacky comedy. Instead, it feels very serious, which is, I think, a very interesting change. Um, but if you're not reading Outer Darkness, I think that's a mistake. You need to go grab volume one because you'll be blown away by the art and then the story will hook you, hands down. Um, but let's move on. Let's talk about comics that are coming out this upcoming week. Comic books are dropping on August 21st, 2019. Let's hear what you guys are excited for. Let's start with you, Brian. Well, uh, I've got uh, Star Wars TIE Fighter number five is dropping this week. This is going to be the last issue in the TIE Fighter miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't read issue number four yet, so I have no idea what could have changed between the end of issue three and uh, and what's going to be happening at the beginning of five. So, mm-hmm. and this 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 is a book that changes so fast; situations can be reversed so quickly that it's kind of impossible for me to even speculate, which I, <laughs> I do enjoy. Like this is a book that keeps it moving it keeps your attention but yeah i mean you know me i'm a i'm a sucker for these star wars books especially the tie fighter series um, yeah yeah and it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to to see how it all shakes out because i think that there's there's a real chance that this book is going to end with all of the main characters dying like <laughs> good which makes sense like they're yeah, yeah. they're tie fighter pilots <laughs> right 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 they're purpose is basically to die screening hits for capital ships like <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's the sad truth right if we break it all down that's why brian is not the squad leader okay everyone that's why <laughs> rousing speech hurrah hurrah thank you brian yeah oh it's it's crazy it's almost like the empire of the bad guys <laughs> oh right 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 i forgot about that <laughs> you know you know the space nazis <laughs> they're merely yeah, trying yeah. to establish order um that's oh all. no no wait hold on nick we're not getting into this you you can, don't even try nick what are you excited for this upcoming week we're just gonna move <laughs> on um for me it would probably have to be aliens rescue number two i recently read number one i really enjoyed it uh this is written by brian wood uh penciled by kieran mccown uh inks by jl straw colors by dan jackson so this follows the events of Resistance. Alex Brand, the colonist that Zula Hendricks and Amanda Ripley rescued, has grown up. Or, I mean, he wasn't that young in the first one, but whatever. Um, he's joined the Uni- United States Colonial Marines. We get some backstory on him. Um, and in a lot of ways, the framing device for the first issue reminds me a lot of in Aliens when Ripley is woken up and is sort of debriefed and you go through this whole process of her explaining what happened to her and what she encountered and sort of people either choosing to believe or not really believe it or be skeptical. And, and, and in some ways I think that's this, we're getting a similar framing device here. Um, I, I really liked it. I thought, uh, there was a sort of sense of lightheartedness with it that I thought was kind of weird, but, but I enjoyed, we get to see some of his exploits with the colonial Marines. We find out that apparently, Mars actually has space bugs on it, but we would only find this out after we terraformed it and also nuked it 11 or 12 times. So, um, you know, uh, Elon Musk's Tesla, you know, uh, I would, I I would be careful. And for the space bugs, (laughs) Elon Musk doesn't care. He's 
blazing it somewhere. Um, he is a yeah. space bug. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, McCown brings a more animated feel to the visuals than past efforts by pencilers like Tristan Jones and Robert Carey. Um, Carey was sort of a step towards the animated feel of McCown, but McCown is definitely there for sure. Uh, he recently drew Halo Lone Wolf for Dark Horse uh, with the exact same art team that he has on Aliens Rescue. Uh, and the Irishman was actually nominated for the 2019 Russ Manning Award, which is given out yearly at SDCC, uh, given to a comic artist who, quote, early in their career shows a superior knowledge and ability in the art of creating comics. Uh, for a bit of trivia, those curious, I guess, the first winner of this award was uh, Dave Stevens, uh, who would go on to create the Rocketeer. Oh. So, you know, that's some good company nice. to have. Uh, he didn't win, but whatever, let's not worry about that. Um <laughs> Honestly, what really brings a lot of this work together is J.L. Straw's inking. Um, the past couple years, I would say definitely unfairly, uh, I sort of developed a bit of an opinion that with some exceptions, there's nothing to be gained by pencilers not inking their own work. And usually there's something to lose when they don't. Um but I think that's because, and again, unfairly, I thought that having someone else ink your stuff is more about accelerating a collaborative process and less about the unique artistic contributions that come with it. Um, mm -hmm. Straw is definitely an example of why I'm wrong, or at least wrong sometimes. Uh, Straw has this real crosshatch style that reminds me a lot of Brian Boland. And while, and I see this a lot on Twitter these days... Uh, guys, it's flattering that you compared me to whoever or whoever. Like, I just want to be myself. I mean, first off, I guess, don't we all? But uh, that being said, like, when people compare you to Brian Boland, you want to be compared to Brian Boland. <laughs> okay? Just let it happen. All right? So, um, anyway, again, just, uh, yeah, I, I mean, suppose... I was going to say, two names, two names that we really need to talk about here are Klaus Jansen and Dexter Vines. Absolutely, and that's what I'm saying, is yeah, I developed that opinion, but obviously, under uh, there are exceptions to all rules, and I think, obviously, there are some pencilers who genuinely need their stuff inked by someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not necessarily need, but it can add a lot to the yeah. comic itself. Yeah. yeah, and I think we've all seen a lot of the graphics or designs where they have different inkers ink the same penciler and you can see how different people bring out different things. So, but I think yeah, part of sure. like me, you know, being part of the big two cynicism for a while was like, you'd get a book, right. And there'd be like three colorists and like two inkers and you'd be like, okay, what's going on here. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 I get you. I get you. Uh, well, for me this week, I'm excited for excellence number four. This is Brandon Thomas with Carrie Randolph on art, colors by Emilio Lopez. Uh, what can I say? This book is insanely good. I mean, I've talked about it a couple times, and every single issue hooks me even harder than the previous one. Uh, there is a lot going on in this book that I don't want to try to explain. All I can say is that if you're sleeping on this book, it's a mistake. Just like Outer Darkness, I think Image actually has some pretty spectacular books coming out right now that I don't know if a lot of people are talking about. Excellence is one of those books, and I think Excellence has got a lot of press, um, but holy cow, I am just impressed. The cover for this book is very... Uh, interesting it's it's someone like behind their behind bars like in a jail but it's like a very interesting um clever way to show someone behind bars so i'm really digging on this book that's all i can really say but uh yeah i don't know if you guys had a chance to check this out i i really hope that you have <laughs> this is the first time hearing about it 
<laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, cool. Well, you know, let's take a break. And when we come back, um, we're going to talk about some very, very weird things. I'll just say that. We'll start with that. So let's, let's take a break and we'll be back. For our show this week, we are talking about, well, something really weird. We're calling it Weird, Weird Crossovers. Uh, Brian, Nick, and I kind of brainstorm an idea about what we should talk about this week, and we came up with the idea of what are the strangest, weirdest comic book crossovers that we could ever think of, um, or that we know exist in comics continuity in some capacity. Let's talk about the weirdest ones that we can find and just some overall thoughts. Quite honestly, I think I have the strangest one. But Nick, Brian, I want to hear your initial thoughts, maybe some examples of books that you guys were looking at for this episode. Yeah, I uh, I did a lot of, of poking around because I, I have a couple in my backlog, like um, Alien versus Vampirella was uh, a really okay. weird one. Um turns out that the xenomorphs are not as dangerous when you kind of have to be killed by sunlight or stake in the heart or whatever mm-hmm. um yeah people like vampirella just kind of survives a chest burster because it doesn't destroy her heart so nice that's uh that was that was weird that whole book was weird uh um, how was the art on that book that's pretty good i can't remember who did it because i read this like two years ago but okay it was i mean uh i mean this is like a backhanded compliment i got it, it was good for a dynamite book okay this, i don't know if that's a compliment or what it was backhanded <laughs> yeah i mean it was it was not so good that i remember it specifically being good but it was not so bad that i remember it being bad <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, I I guess that's the best way I can describe it. Gotcha. Um gotcha. But that's that's my favorite thing to look for in a uh in a a crossover like this is just a weird scenario that would not ever normally happen. And vampires right. and aliens is kind I of mean, out there. Generally it falls into one of my favorite demographics, which is putting characters in space that have no business being in space. Wait, so explain to me the story of this. Vampirella somehow goes to space to fight aliens or something? Is that what I'm understanding here? Yeah, it's like uh, some humans find an old vampire colony in space, maybe? That sounds right. Okay. That, that tracks I, with me. <laughs> I mean, I, I just sh- I should have reread it, it says- before talking about it, but... The synopsis that I'm seeing on Comixology is, as the first human colony on Mars digs deeper into the crimson soil, they discover the catacombs of a hibernating civilization, tens of thousands of years old. The evidence suggests that they are Nosferatu, an ancient and sinister species that Vampirella is all too familiar with. Called to the Red Planet to investigate, the monster hunter and her human allies find a chamber with hit hundreds of ellipsoidal leathery eggs, and after they hatch, the true horror begins. Okay, so it's your standard alien storyline but just with Vampirella on Mars for no good reason, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's like alien, but make it sexy, kind of. <laughs> oh, yeah, because alien so wasn't what? already make, sexy. Yeah, enough. I was going to, I mean, exactly. I didn't want to say it, Brian, but it's like aliens already kind of sexy. 
<laughs> Did you see that ovipositor? Man. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I, excuse me, I'm just throwing up over here. Um, yeah, th- okay, that's a good one to start with. Uh, I know that there's a ton of Alien and someone else, and then Predator and someone else out there. Um, I read the Archie versus Predator by Alex DeCampi with art by Fernando Ruiz. Um, I think everybody and their brother who is familiar with comics kind of knows about this or at least has seen a cover for this. And it makes no sense. You kind of look at it and you wonder, why does this exist? Can I resist buying this or reading this? Because it's so absurd, It's it, especially given the art style, right? Like Fernando Ruiz's art is this happy-go-lucky, campy, archy style. And then also Predator is there. And it's I, fucking insane. I, I feel like they had a discussion over, like, are we going to take Archie's art style or are we going to take Predator <laughs> aesthetics for this book? And for some reason, the coin toss was lost. Or one, depending upon how you feel about yeah. it. And I, we got like I think the Archie is better digest at the supermarket art, which is a million times better than what the alternative would have been. Oh yeah. I, I think a realistic Archie in the gang would have failed compared to the the campy look that the Archie Digest books, that's a great way to describe it, definitely has. Um, you know, pre Fiona Staples reboot with Mark Wade. I think that style. I mean, they still publish books like that, which is great. Um, but I think that style totally lends to the weird campiness of it, especially when the book gets very, very gory later I on. I just in the saw books. the first issue of the sequel on the shelves at Vault, and I think Hack is actually drawing it. The guy who did Sabrina. Whoa, that's what? Yeah, that's fucking yeah, yeah, insane. Yeah. yeah. For those of you who aren't familiar, the Sabrina series that they did, the I can't remember what the name of it is, but like it had a very painterly, almost just truly horror style. Really chilling. Um, yeah. To see that, yeah, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Thank you. No, uh, no and, pun yeah, intended. I totally that. forgot that was the name of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a it's a very creepy looking book, and now to see that as the Archie versus Predator two sequel, oh man, that's almost. I might actually have to pick that one up rather than <laughs> borrow it from someone. Yeah, I, I also read Archie versus Predator last night, and. Uh, it's just a scene where, like, everyone, like, there's blood dripping down on Archie and the gang, and no one is talking about it. And then we kind of just, like, oh, yeah. pan up into the trees where Cheryl and Jason Blossom have been, like, eviscerated and dismembered by the Predator. <laughs> like, Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of Afterlife with Archie, where everyone is kind of okay with death. Though, I will say, in Archie versus Predator, there are people getting murdered, like, every third page. And they're just kind of like, oh, no, uh, Dingle. And then they move on, or whatever yeah, that nerdy kid's name was, is. I can't remember. The one that <laughs> stuck out to me was uh, Pops is going to cut a cake, and he's holding a knife. So the Predator blows up <laughs> Pops's head. And, like, some of the head bits land on the cake. And then a few pages later... We see Jughead taking like a, a fork into the cake. Like, listen, this was all just a precursor for Jughead the Hunger. I guess. We all know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, holy shit! There's still an eyeball on that thing, and Jughead's like, oh, let's eat around it. Well, he's hungry, Brian. That's his thing. <laughs> yeah, and it gets motherfucker killed later too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone practically dies in this book, with the exception of Betty, Veronica, and kind of Archie, depending on how you read it at the end. Well, Um, I mean, Betty, Veronica, and the Predator, because they do use a magic surgery machine to turn the Predator into Archie at the end. Which is what we all want, right? Just a murderous death machine turned into our love triangle boyfriend. 
Oh, that book was so weird. Yeah, it's a, it's probably one of the strangest crossover books that has come out in modern printing. Um, but I don't know, Nick. What are you got on your table? What are you looking at? Well, one of them that I read again, I didn't need much encouragement. Um, I read the original Alien versus Predator from 1990, um, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people who are sort of vaguely aware of the Aliens universe, they either look at, um, they either think that, like, Alien and Predator were all part of some, like, massive planned story and whatnot from the beginning, or if they saw Predator 2, they're like, oh, there's a there's a alien skull in Predator 2, and so clearly, like, that must have been the whole thing that tipped it off when, in fact, mm-hmm. a lot of people aren't aware, unless you listen to this show, and then I bring it up every third week, um, that Alien vs. Predator was actually just the result of, apparently, uh, the writer, Randy Stradley. Um, I read an interview with him yesterday, and he talked about how he was in a meeting with the founder of Dark Horse, uh, Mike Richardson, and uh, they were in this all-hands-on-deck meeting trying to figure out how they were going to do a crossover with DC Comics at the time. And then one of the oh. other writers uh, slash artists, Chris Warner, just pointed out that they already were publishing Predator and Alien, and both were owned by the same company, so it would probably mm-hmm. just take one phone call, and it didn't seem like there would be much plot needed to have them fighting each other, so... He said it took like five minutes to close the deal with Fox, and that was it. And so, oh, yeah, a lot of people aren't aware that it, it like, the franchise, which now has multiple video games and two or three movies, I think just two, AVP and AVP Requiem, um, all just began because Dark Horse was trying to smash their characters together. Wasn't the first time they did that, Was wouldn't be the last time, but I don't know if we've ever had... Um, mashup result in such a i mean its own media empire more or less empire might be strong well franchise might in be my in my more appropriate in my opinion i think the the only other one that i can think of that's like that is kingdom hearts and i don't want to dive down that rabbit hole but let's, I, from my let's understanding discuss the plot to all of the kingdom hearts <laughs> games we'll go in release order right so i i um, don't i don't want to get into that because that is a that is the worst place to go but <laughs> Kingdom Hearts is a similar similar thing where I think it was like folks in Japan were in like the same building as folks from Disney and they were like, how do we make this happen? Um, or not I mean, folks from uh, who was it? Square Enix um, or Square oh, at the time? Been Squaresoft they at were the like, time technically. But yeah, yeah, Squaresoft. They were like in the same building and they were like, let's make this happen. But there's there's a lot more story to it. I think you should Google it if you're interested. But um, so I didn't. I guess I didn't realize that Alien and Predator like them coming together in a comic was so strange because to me it feels supernatural um well that's a strange way to put that it, it feels very natural because those books are like about aliens from other planets where people kind of show up on a planet and they're doing something um you know it's it's it fits really well but i guess I, it was just a happenstance so that's kind of cool yeah i mean of course humans always get involved i mean it's always like aliens versus predator parentheses we're gonna kill lots of humans because the two other creatures in this book don't speak English, and so someone's got to be doing the narrating, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed this one. Again, written by Randy Stradley, pencils by Phil Norwood and Chris Warner, inks by Norwood, Carl Story, and Robert Campanelli, letters by Pat Brousseau. It feels like Pat Brousseau has been lettering since 
I mean, I think two of the books you already talked about today were Pat Brousseau, so it seems like he's forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it checked all the boxes for me. I mean, any Aliens book that just has a prolonged introductory monologue that's about Darwin slash survival of the fittest slash ethics slash evolution, and it goes on for about seven times longer than it needs to, like, that's, <laughs> an, that's like, check the box. Like, that's... Who is to say what is the fittest species of all time yeah okay we get it we're watching an aliens movie thank you check the box <laughs> right 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 <laughs> um, but yeah well, I, mean, I mean he it really seeds the idea no pun intended that predators basically are punks and they just roll onto planets um and dump a bunch of alien eggs um so that they can go have a hunt more or less and whoever I mean, that's gets a good hurt time. in the meantime, who cares? So, uh, right. and then of course, I mean, this book also checks the box for me that I love, which is there is a predator code of ethics, and it never matters. And that's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah, like predators don't hurt defenseless people, right? Like that's part of it. And then you see this right. gang of predators arrive on this like western frontier um home and just kill the mom right in front of the kid and i'm like okay um okay (laughs) and then just the final big check mark for me it's on every predator's cv on linkedin which is have you crushed human skulls and the answer has to be yes like if you haven't done it what are you doing it's like the predator equivalent to like a high school degree or a ged (laughs) right (laughs) Right. You can get by without it, but it's it makes your life easier. People are going to mm-hmm. notice. Like people are going to notice it. Yeah, you said you've yeah, crushed but- human skulls, but have you really? Okay. So. <laughs> well, Nick, you've got a huge list. I don't know how much of these you read cuz I I only read a couple of things. Um like I I did kind of dig through a little bit of the like Green Lantern and Star Trek crossover and Brian, I think you did as well. Yeah, I read that um, last those, night. That crossover super works because like people in space and then people in space um i'm i think that that's a plan like they they're just like these things kind of naturally work so we're gonna push them together um i don't know if that makes it weird or i don't know brian you probably read through more of this than i did did you think that there was any weirdness to this crossover that they did i thought it was weird ish because i wasn't reading green lantern at the time like it, okay. Because it, it's definitely uh, Star Trek Green Lantern, The Spectrum War is is the, the full title. And okay. it picks up with uh, Necron about to kill Ganthat, the, the Guardian guy. And he escapes by jumping into the Star Trek movie universe, taking a ring of each color with him. <laughs> okay. Um, but then they're like, Hal Jordan, like everybody, everybody who had a ring was also pulled into this universe. So like Hal Jordan is there and John Stewart. And I think Guy Gardner is the other Green Lantern who shows up, but then mm-hmm. Sinestro's there and Larflees is there. And, uh, the, the rage guy, they're all, they all Keep show naming up. Keep Brian. <laughs> yeah. Just for the rest of the, the episode. <laughs> Atrocitus. That's what it is. Um, but I, last I read in any Green Lantern thing was when they, they beat Necron with uh, Kyle Rayner turning into the White Lantern. 
So I was a little confused by it. Um, but then they, they throw in a couple pages of backstory where they're like, yeah, Necron attacked again and he killed Kyle first, so we're all fucked. <laughs> they say, like, he just, like, showed up, capped Kyle Rayner and, and moved on with his day. So, so this book, it takes place in the Star Trek cinematic universe. Like, do the Green Lanterns just fucking win because they have superpower rings? Like, Star Trek is still very based on, like, human survival like no one is like super powered by any means unless like you're talking about the klingon's ability to survive um i i mean i don't know enough about star trek to speak to it i don't even want to try to yeah but it seems like the green lanterns would just kick ass right well, what, what ends up happening is uh a klingon i can't remember his name uh general something or other gets a yellow ring because scotty is fucking around with the rings they found oh yeah they find ganthat's body and they find all the rings and Scotty like reactivates them somehow. And so like a Klingon gets the he's yellow ring. He's giving him all he's got, Captain. <laughs> uh, some lizard <laughs> guy gets the red ring or Romulan gets the orange ring. And then a few member of Kirk's crew get the other rings. And it's a, uh, it's a whole thing. <laughs> okay. They're, okay. they're like I mean, powering phasers the- with lantern rings and like, Chekhov is flying through space, fucking shit up. Like, sweet. Okay, <laughs> it's so it just goes whole hog on this thing, is what you're saying. It's a real fun read, honestly. I, I recommend it. Okay, okay. That's it. I I saw that one. Like I said, I kind of paged through it because it. I saw that they were trying to do the likeness of like the modern day Star Trek f- characters, um, which in some panels looked good, in other panels, like I feel so bad for. Uh, uh sean or not sean uh simon Pegg, just because they make him look like a lemur in one panel and i was just like oh no Ooh. what happened <laughs> but otherwise like it looked kind of cool uh, i'm glad to hear that it was a fun read ultimately i uh the the book that i you know nick you've got a list and i i just want to go through there's like batman versus predator there's superman versus predator like how do those books work um as stories when doesn't it seem like like the aliens or excuse me predator would beat batman but superman would beat predator like is there even a challenge there like what's the story in those books yeah um i don't know i haven't read that one yet and it makes even okay. less sense okay. to me because i think the summary mentioned that it was like the superman story was during the era when it was like four different supermen so it's like how is it oh okay it should be one fourth of a struggle now um <laughs> yeah i actually i didn't read that book but i read a little blurb about it and it, it takes place on a planet with a red sun that's how that's how oh, predator has a chance okay. all right so they cheated the anyway field. on to the next one uh <laughs> yeah so batman has fought I the mean, predator three times he's also fought aliens two times there have been two predator versus judge dread versus aliens books which is actually a bit of a misnomer because one of those books is actually a collection of when judge dread fought the predator and when judge dread fought the aliens and they were packaged together into the same book entitled that which gets super confusing because two years after that book came out there was actually a a book that came out called predator versus judge dread versus aliens by john layman and i think chris mooneyham which used the same title but actually involved all three in the same story does that okay. make sense? Okay. I know that's a very comics yeah. narrative there, but uh, to follow, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm following you. 
Okay. Um, I mean, there are some other really wild ones. There's one or two I just really want to bring up. You can list the rest um, at some point. Uh, there was Tarzan versus the Predator uh, at the Earth's Core. It came out in 1996. Um, I simultaneously want to read this book this very instant, and yet also possibly never if I can help it. Um <laughs> <laughs> but Walt Simonson wrote it and Lee Weeks did the pencils. So it's like, oh, what whoa. the hell? <laughs> um, that, the, what? <laughs> right? Isn't that, it's always so weird to see. I mean, you know, it's, it's no different than when you see a movie star like 10 years before they hit it big. And here's, you know, Brie Larson and Scott Pilgrim. Although, I mean, Scott Pilgrim's not exactly a low-profile movie. But you see my point, right? All yeah. of a sudden, you're finding yeah, yeah, people in you. these movies, and you're like, well, this is weird. Comics is no different. Same sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. There was a Star Trek X-Men crossover, which happened in 1996. It only happened because, yeah. at that point, Marvel Comics briefly owned Paramount Pictures. Uh, it did involve Spock Boy. fucking laying out Wolverine at one point. Yeah, he uh, puts it was written him by down. Scott Lobdell, which means you don't need to read it. And uh, <laughs> uh, featured art by such individuals as David Finch and Mark Silvestri. So, yowza! But there's one that I, mean, I really, always... really, really want to talk about, uh, <laughs> and that's definitely the 2009 Eminem slash The Punisher crossover. <laughs> no, wait, oh, shut up. <laughs> You're, wait, Eminem, like, the the rapper, not the candy? Like, like the rapper. <laughs> I guess that makes a little what? more sense. I guess. Well, I mean, I guess the candies would have been a whole mess of a story, but um, Eminem, the rapper, what is this comic even about then? Hold on, are you, am I reading this right? The credits are Fred Van Lenti and Salvador La Roca? What? Yes, yeah. Nick, explain this book to me right now, or else. (laughs) (laughs) So, this came out in 2009, and it was largely done to promote Eminem's upcoming album for the same year, Relapse. Um, The first half came out in XXL Magazine. Don't ask me what that's about or what it's for. I don't know. I don't want to ask. Which had Eminem cosplaying as the Punisher on the cover, and the second half was made available on Marvel's website. Um... Apparently, Marvel got into this, and then they were like, maybe we need to do some damage control, because where is this going to go, really, right? And sure. so, <laughs> And so, they tried to convince Eminem, hey, um, we're thinking we're going to do a story, and it's going to be about you, and it's going to feature Wolverine and Spider-Man. How's that? And he's like, nope, I've already decided I want it to be Punisher. And they're like, well, fuck. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I, I fucking guess, sure. <laughs> uh, and apparently he really does love The Punisher because um, when Netflix uh, canceled The Punisher, uh, Eminem sent them an all-caps text which read, um, Dear Netflix, uh, I wrote you, but you still ain't calling. I left my cell phone, my pager, <laughs> and my home phone at the bottom. I'm kidding. That's not what it said. Uh <laughs> Anyway, that's Stan. It, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, you're no, he wrote. Me. He wrote in all caps. Uh, Dear Netflix, uh, regarding your cancellation of the Punisher, you are blowing it. Two exclamation points after that, which is a real power move. Like one and three mm-hmm. are both very conventional, but when you do two, that means you fucked up. Okay. Yes. Sincerely, Marshall. Very polite. Um, 
so apparently in this comic, uh, the Parents Music Council hires Barracuda. Apparently it's a Punisher villain. Punisher yeah, villains yeah. tend to die frequently, so I don't know if this guy means anything to anyone else. Doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah, yeah, he's... He's kind of a, he's like a Jigsaw, which is another kind of classic Punisher villain that's been around for a while and has somehow managed to not die. Okay, okay. <laughs> so they hire him to put a hit on Eminem. Uh, so Barracuda's plan is to dump Eminem in the ice outside of, on some lake near Detroit, um, which again, it's ice, so... Maybe he could have thought that through. Um, yeah. So he's going to dump him in the ice where nobody can find him. And he purchases a lot of M- purchases a lot of Eminem merch so that he can make a fortune after Eminem dies. <laughs> okay. Except Eminem hightails it across the ice. And he finds a middle-aged man ice fishing who's ice fishing while listening to Eminem on his iPod. Don't let anyone tell you multitasking isn't possible. It is. Here's proof. Um, yeah, yeah. So Eminem finds out that this guy is his biggest fan, which has got to be factually true. Um, and he lets M borrow his chainsaw for purposes that are probably not restricted to fishing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I will say this, like, I think if this book had to achieve one goal above all others it would be does eminem actually look like eminem to which the answer is mm-hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely and if you've yeah. seen salvador laroca's work on star wars books at least for most of the star wars faces he's attempting to emulate he nails it so that won't be a surprise for some people but uh yeah uh i need to read this book so i i i I honestly don't want you to tell me the ending. I want to know what happens. I feel like I need to find this book and read it. This is fucking insane. I thought that I had the topper for this episode. I mean, I maybe <laughs> still do because that's what we're going to talk about next. But holy shit, this is insane. Um, I I cannot believe it's a real thing. I can't believe the names oh. on this book either. Yeah. This is incredible. Apparently, he's a huge comics fan, I guess, when he was in rehab and trying to kick drugs and alcohol. He said, you know, comic books were kind of what filled that void for him. He was talking about this on the Mm -hmm. Jonathan Ross show, who's a massive comic books fan himself. And according to the article I read, which it was on the internet, so don't believe any of it, apparently after the interview, they both literally just went to Jonathan Ross's house and sat around and read comics, which um, sitting around reading comics with Eminem sounds sounds like something i would probably at least want to see but maybe not be there (laughs) (laughs) right 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 oh man um well okay we gotta wrap this show up soon so i gotta tell you guys about probably the greatest crossover book that i've i actually read last night um this is sonic super special number seven um this came out find this i've read about this listen nick I read this last night, and it is the most insane book I've ever read in my life. It is written by Ken Penders, with pencils by Jim Valentino, inks by Ken Penders, and letters by Jeff Powell. Oh my sweet God. Let me just tell you that I thought this book was just going to be a crossover between Sonic and Spawn. And you have to ask yourself, how the hell do Sonic and Spawn crossover? Well, guys, I just want to tell you that (laughs) a lot happens in this book. 
Um, the story opens on this character named Particle, who ends up going to Sonic's world using some magical device that she has. She finds a Chaos Emerald that has um, an image property trapped inside of it, a Elephant Man. Um, she's telling this story to a, quote, Agent Mully and a, quote, Agent Scolder. Um, and it only gets better from there because it's the fucking 90s. There's a kid who's hanging out in his room. They find, like, this business card that says, hey, turns out that something happened at this Air Force base. We should go investigate it. We found this business card. It belongs to some guy who works in the upper 70s of Manhattan. That's the upper 70s streets in Manhattan. And uh, his son was somehow at this Air Force base. Turns out because that kid is fucking Shadowhawk. Um, The kid has an Archie t-shirt on. He's telling this story about how he happened upon this um, alleyway where Sonic and the gang had somehow managed to show up in the material world like the world that we live in where Shadowhawk and Spawn live as well. Um, and they're like, hey, do you know what happened to this Chaos Emerald we're looking for? And this the kid happens upon them and he thinks that they're just children dressed up as video game characters because canonically, Sonic in the game, they are video game characters in the Spawn universe or whatever. So somebody one of the characters i don't know the sonic gang sonic fans get at me i don't know they have this tracker that's able to track the chaos emerald um and i actually have to ask a question really quick maybe you guys know why does knuckles wear mittens but sonic has finger gloves do you guys know why don't answer that it's fine you're asking for logic behind sonic lore i think (laughs) you've just made a real wrong turn Yeah, I got the no only good thing yeah, so is that like, Sonic fans live to be upset and disappointed, so they will love coming after you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the Sonic and the gang are asking directions for Spawn. That's like the whole thing. This kid is like, oh, I kind of can help you find your way around New York. They end up at Grand Central Station for some reason. And who do they run into? Well, they run into uh, Savage Dragon, who's just patrolling on the street because that's who he is and some a fight breaks out uh the sonic gang are driving this special car they don't know what came from there's a little footnote that says in case you don't know who dr robotnik is and they give this little synopsis and i'm like i'm reading a sonic comic of course i fucking know who dr robotnik is um but it's there's this superhero called Union that shows up. There are these enemies called SWAT bots that work for some villain whose name I didn't really track. Because at this point, reading the book, I was just flipping through pages going, who the fuck else is going to show up? Because I couldn't believe it. There's a dig on DC's Crisis on Infinite Earths. The Max shows up. Velocity shows up. Everyone's getting punched. It turns out that they need Sonic Speed because this is a Sonic comic. And Velocity, she can keep up. But Sonic says, I haven't even gotten started yet. And then he goes faster. Knuckles has a crisis of faith mid-fight on whether or not he should do the right thing and save this material world from the Chaos Emerald because I don't know... I don't know Knuckles' background, but I guess he he was you know he was a bad guy, and he's got this thing in his brain where he like wants to constantly be evil. I honestly couldn't keep up for some reason. Honestly, off panel, Knuckles beats the villain. There's like a page, and then all of a sudden the villain is beaten. There's no like action of them fighting. He's just beaten. Um, and then Scolder and Mully think that it was all just a big shared hallucination between this kid and Savage Dragon and the Union and Velocity. They're like, there's no way these video game characters could have ever come to life. Honestly, I skipped a bunch at the end because none of it was making sense. You guys, it's the wildest fucking crossover book I've ever read in my entire life. I mean... That's all. I just want to congratulate you on finding America's newest street drug. What's um, that? That book. 
Like, yeah, honestly, you should just inject that straight into your veins and you won't ever have to think about anything in life ever again. I mean, I think what's weird is I'm framing this book as someone who is familiar with Sonic reading and encountering all of these other characters. But fucking wrap your head around this book if you're a Spawn fan who's just rolled on into this thing, right? Like, what it, the hell? It, it's so strange. It's so strange to see Jim Valentino drawing Sonic in the gang because they do look comically cartoonish. Meanwhile, all of the image characters look very grim in 90s. So, like, it's it's very impressive to see Jim Valentino, like, draw two different styles in one page. But on the whole, this book is just like a cash grab. It feels like a very hard cross-promotion in order to make money. I don't know if it did well, but I had to find this book, and so last night I did. Man, it's strange. Man, it's weird. There's so many digs and plays against, like, the big two. Like, it, it feels so Rebels 90 style, where, like, the image guys were just trying to give the middle finger to the big two, because they weren't working for them anymore. So there's tons of digs against Marvel and DC, on top of their characters being obvious ripoffs of some bits and pieces of other marvel and dc characters it's so ridiculous and then sonic and the gang are there and honestly there's a bunch of characters that i don't know like i know sonic and knuckles and tails but there was someone named antoine who's like this love like he almost reminds me of peppy Le Pew, and he's also french there yeah. is uh sally who's there who's like this geek who can build computer things there's this big chubby chipmunk guy who is their mechanic? I don't know enough about Sonic lore, Didn't man. You ever it was the, the strangest thing. No, I never watched Sonic the cartoon. Sonic was played by uh, Steve Urkel in one of them. Oh well, thank you for the factoid. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so um, that's the strangest crossover. I don't know. Do you guys have any other final thoughts on this? I I know we could keep going. I just had to get that out of my system because I read it last night and it's just been itching me. And I don't know if they actually figured out the Elephant Man thing trapped inside the Chaos Emerald. I I wasn't paying enough attention. But uh, yeah, Brian, I don't know. What are your thoughts here? <laughs> I don't know if there's anywhere else we can go from there. Like I think that that might have to be the end. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, probably the closest, wildest thing I could find was that um, there were not one, but two aliens slash witchblade slash darkness slash predator crossovers in yeah. 2000, which... Okay. Um, Yowza. I don't... I mean... That sounds like a sexy book, question mark? <laughs> uh, I mean, like, sex and sex and violence in, in, in ample amounts, yeah. And a fair share of brooding, to be sure, yeah. For sure. Ugh. Well, okay, then I guess we're just going to wrap things up because I feel, like, mentally drained after talking about all yeah, of that. Yeah, I gotta lay down. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, if you guys want to follow us, you know, we recorded this whole episode and we were on Discord, so if you guys aren't on our Discord, check the show notes. There's a link you can join. And you can listen to future things. We're doing a live episode on August 30th. Brian and I are going to just sit down and hang out. We're going to talk about something comics related and then maybe just spin off into whatever for a little bit of time. So if you can make it, please do. Uh, you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Brian at Brianhead. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow me at Mike Rappin. And you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at IRCP Podcast. We would love to have you subscribe to our Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash IRCP Podcast. 
Uh, without your support, the show wouldn't survive. If you join now, you can get access to exclusive audio and articles, early access to top of my pile posts, as well as early access um, two episodes as you'll be getting them on Tuesday instead of Wednesday. In addition, you can check out our Goodreads group. It's a wonderful community of comic friends and we have weekly threads. This week's thread is that we are currently voting, um, or rather we're taking nominations for September's book of the month. So if you want to head on over and take a look at that, we would really love to have your input. You can also find us at our website, ircbpodcast.com, where we have a pronunciation guide and a merch store. If you're listening to us through iTunes, Google, whatever, uh, please remember to rate and review the show. We love reading your reviews. We'll probably read them out loud on on an episode of the show. And they really do help people find the, find us. You know, we have over 200 episodes. We should have 200 reviews at least, right? Email the show with whatever you want, what you've been reading, corrections, recipes, fanfic favorites uh, at ircbpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Their new album drops, I believe, next week. So make sure you go purchase that. They are such cool guys. I really love all their music. And we can't thank them enough for letting us use their music on our show. Xander is a really cool guy. Really fun wizard to play, uh, you know, magic shoot-em-ups with. Uh, He's also the editor of our show, and he's fantastic. I want to say thank you to Brian and Nick for being on the episode. Thank you to the guys in the Discord just chatting with us. Cinco, Danny, VG, Aaron, I know you were here for a second to thank you guys so until next time comics are good and so are you i mean danny for the record we say these things but we don't we don't go to the bathroom we don't drink water these are <laughs> those are, those yeah. are human activities. <laughs> you should. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, true, true. <clears throat> yeah, I was going to plug, you know, Powers of X, but I figured I got to not just do that for the next 12 episodes of the show because I don't think it's fair to the rest of the other comic books that I'm reading. I know it's very it's very on brand. I I Paul Paul when we came back uh when he did that, like, here's your X-Men minute, I genuinely considered doing that for, like, the next 12 issue, or 12 episodes of the show, even for, the, like, the two that I know that I'm not going to be on, <laughs> to just, like, have someone check in with some, like, pre-written something that I've written, even if they have no idea what the context is. Um, but I, uh, I just, I, you know, I don't have enough brain power for that. Otherwise, I would have I done it. You know... I mean, someone tell me, like, is this whole uh, hox pox, uh, I feel like it's a secret language, first off, obviously. Um, is this, it's like, the disease, absolute Nick. worst time is. or the absolute best time to be trying the X-Men? Or are you guys so, just saying this because it's it's fucking, the whole tinfoil hat shit's going around and that's basically me? <laughs> no, I think Cinco is definitely right. Like, it's definitely, like, a a place to jump on. I think Marvel's trying to do a soft reset as far as the X-Men, because I think for the last three-ish years, they've been kind of meandering with an uncertainty of what to do. Um, The whole inhuman Terrigen bomb that was 
kind of Marvel's push to try to make the Inhumans like the next big thing ultimately <laughs> flopped because ultimately, sorry, like, it's honestly, still funny to hear that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it flopped because like the Inhumans are not the X-Men. They aren't the flawed humans that we know. Instead, they're bound by this weird, rigid system. And yes, as much fun as it is to see characters kind of rebel against that rigid system and maybe not even be a part of it. And, you know, someone like Kamala Khan, for instance, perfect example. She's a fantastic character and her book works well because she is a good character and Mm -hmm. her life isn't revolved around the inhuman, like, doctrine. And instead, all the other books that they were pushing at the time, if I remember correctly, they were all just like... We used to be part of this kingdom, and now we're not. What do we do? Where's our king? And that's like the the constant storyline. Everyone's like, "Where's like Black What are we supposed to do?" Right. Yeah, and yeah, and I, Danny, Danny or got royalty a point. Like, or whatever Charles Soule, I don't know. He, he wrote some really good Inhumans, but like, um, I, I ultimately don't think Marvel had a solid plan as to how to basically push the X-Men out and instead you know they gave Jeff Lemire Extraordinary X-Men which was a really weird book because it was like a flash forward by a year and then we got Charles Soule writing Death of X and um, where Cyclops quote unquote died except for he didn't because we didn't see the body they followed basic horror tropes where they were like we didn't see the body so therefore he's not dead Um, though I do think that they did show his body I don't I just either way Um, oh no they did because it was Emma Frost projecting it or something like that. It's a bunch of fucking retcon garbage. But um, yeah, I think this House of X and Powers of X is them trying to like do a soft reboot of the X-Men, kind of rewrite a little bit of history, solidify some of the history that they want to bring into continuity, and then go from there. And any references to characters that you're going to get, yes, it's going to be hard. Like if they bring up Mojo or they bring up fucking Mr. Sinister, you're kind of not going to know who they are, but they'll teach you along the way that these are villains and this is why they're bad and this is who they become. Uh, and I think that, you know, the stuff that they were doing in Uncanny X-Men, or sorry, X-Men Gold, I honestly really enjoyed Mark Guggenheim's run because it was basically like a slightly warmer than lukewarm X-Men run where there was enough nostalgia to bring in old X-Men fans and there was enough new content to kind of hook a handful of interested X-Men fans. Um, but ultimately, like, things fell apart because Marvel didn't know what to do after that, which is why they did Age of X-Men, which is like a, hey, what if scenario. Um, they did this a few years ago with Age of X. I don't know why they're obsessed with calling things Age of something, but they are. And uh, now this this whole Hoxpox thing is just is them saying, okay, this is a new Age of something, but it's actually going to have ramifications, and we'll see how long that lasts. I, but I'll give them like two years to say like, hey, we're going to try something new with the X-Men for a couple of years, and it'll be interesting. Like when I was at FlameCon, Avita Ayala was talking about how <laughs> they get to write what they want, and they get to you know put their their opinions and things into their books but ultimately whatever jonathan hickman says is law he essentially is writing the new continuity and so they can't as people write these new books that are coming out after Hoxpox, they have to adhere to whatever continuity he sets up and i think that like vita for instance is is aware leah williams is aware they all know kind of what's happening teeny howard for instance as well which is why we're getting a morbius book for some reason which is supposed somebody said is supposed to be like an x-men book i don't know but um yeah, it's it's a whole it's a whole thing. But yeah, there's there's a bunch of X-Men books coming out in the fallout from Hoxpox that we're going to see um actually change continuity. So I think like if you wanted to dive in and get the dig the big deep dive Hickman style like pamphlet-esque uh comic book cuz they're like pages of of, you know, just prose for a little bit. Um 
that I think are really interesting. I know some people are complaining about. I fucking love it. Um, it's a nice like break between his story beats, um, just like uh, Black Monday Murders, for instance. If you like what he did with Black Monday Murders, you're going to love House of X and Powers of X. Um, specifically, House of X, I think, is the better of the two right now. But Powers of X or Powers of Ten um, are like weird. The Powers of Ten is a weird book. Um, yeah. But I haven't read Powers of Ten number two yet. And I'm sorry, guys. That's I know that this is me like fucking up really hard over here. <laughs> yeah, Mike, how could you be behind on reading comic books? <laughs> I don't know. It feels like Marvel sometimes doesn't seem obsessed with getting new people on board with X-Men in the same way that they are with everything else, but maybe that's just generally speaking to the level of attention and care that they have for X-Men versus everyone else. Well, I think that X-Men are less, uh, po- I don't want to say popular, but they're less visible, right? Well, like sure. Captain I America, mean, like that boils down on some level to just the simple yeah. fact that they're not in the MCU, right? Like, that is the right. highest right. point of, uh, of viewership awareness that exists right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they're I mean, not and in I, that. admittedly, I'm not, I'm not plugged in enough on the other marvel books um to be able to speak to how new reader approachable they are like for instance you know we read captain america winter uh, winter in america you know that that uh the captain america book that came out by tanisi coates and i read it and i felt like it was a tough book to get into unless you knew some of the stuff that kind of led into it but ultimately it wasn't a bad read it's just like i might as the well story read itself that book was driven out of some honestly well no it's it's no, it's honest. It was like a you know you had to have been kind of clued in to what was happening with the the Captain America thing um, from Nick Spencer, but um, they they do a good job of explaining it to you. But it did feel like I was missing a little bit for having not read that. But that's me. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean Marvel on the whole, I think is doing well. Like they're, I agree with you, Cinco. Like obviously people are digging it. Like Absolute Carnage is a fucking nationwide event or something like that. Is there going to be like a Mountain Dew? branded fucking promotion for this it feels like it's huge i don't that book is being pushed so hard when i was in vault like they were so excited about that book and i was yeah i mean i if okay my twitter timeline is any proof i think like absolute carnage is taking over the united states but uh maybe that's just a bit of any friends but like i don't know why people are excited about like edgelord venom right you know Hey, you know, I don't, I, I don't know what it is either, but people love it. People are really into. It. I mean, Donny Cates is apparently doing a good job. Oh, I mean, yeah, and it's not to speak to you know Cates, Danny but Cates, it's Donny Cates. You know, what's his name? Yeah, I don't understand um, the, the all of the symbiote love and everything. Yeah. Whatever. Well, I mean, this it, is nineties like, kids love it. Yes, a, Danny. I think that's. I I think that's exactly. I mean, Carnage for me is so very nineties. Well, I think like Venom and in, in general, Guys, he is was like a serial killer. So, Isn't that fucking badass? <laughs> it's, it's Venom as a character is so weird because essentially, like, you can make a bad movie like the Venom movie. Like, I don't care what you say. Venom is not a good movie. It is a fun movie. I haven't seen it. I've heard it regards, described as a a good bad movie or a bad good movie however like, you want to call it. It's like 80 minutes long. I don't know like it was such a short movie. Um you can make a movie like that and somehow it can do very well at the box office. Like there something happened to people in the 90s that made them just love Venom. And I I don't know Todd what McFarlane? it is. I don't understand it. 
Todd, sure, Todd McFarlane, I don't know, but like, even today, to this day, before even the Venom movie came out, you still see people wearing Venom shirts or black Spider-Man shirts, like, something about that era of Spider-Man. It's gotta be just the fact that people love the Spider-Man design, right? But like, they they don't want, you know, goody two-shoe science fair winning nerd. Right. Everyone wants a like, angry, flesh-hungry he needs to be a little Demon moody. Beast. Like, we want Peter Parker, yeah, but guess. he needs to be in My Chemical Romance. Listen, we got that. It's called Spider-Man 3. End joke. Um, <laughs> that was the thing that, that threw so, me in the Venom movie, I, was him eating people. Is he always eating yes. people? <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand how, like, they are so they were so passive with that. Like, he kills that dude at the end of the movie, and he's like, oh, sorry, Mrs. Chen, and he, like, leaves, which... That's my best Tom Hardy doing a bad Brooklyn accent in LA. Which was the I Venom in Space? Oh, yeah, sorry, Mrs. Chen. Was that the I, one you're I talking about? Danny? What was. Because I always heard that one was good. The Agent Venom I heard was good. <laughs> I forgot about the turd in the wind line. Yeah, turd in the wind. <laughs> uh, okay. Sorry. We, we, sorry. We have to get going. I have to. I actually do have to get on a plane in like two hours. So I need to like oh, yeah, finish up this recording yeah. as much as I would love to do this. I promise August 30th or August, yeah, August 30th, that Friday, Brian and I are going to be online. I'm going to try to convince Nick and Paul or whoever to come on as well. And we're going to do this exact thing. And we're just going to sit and chat about stuff. So. Um, we will get back to this, I promise. But let's let's jump into the second half of this this episode. Um, let's take a break, or let's take a couple seconds, so we can get into it. If you guys are all ready. Yep. Yep. All right. <laughs> 